I want you to wave your Bible. Just wave it at me real quick. All right? All right. Well, if you don't have a Bible, just you know, wave your hand anyway. All right. Wave your hand. Everybody wave your hand. All right. There you go. All right. Everybody, everybody over here got a Bible? All right. Everybody say, this is my Bible. And I'm going to use it today. All right. Amen. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, very quickly. Pastor Orlando, just watch the clock for me. Luke 22 and verse number 39. Luke 22, verse 39. It will be behind me quickly. Luke 22 and verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as is accustomed, and his disciples followed him. And when he come to the place, he said, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrew from the place about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared, him, appeared, appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Lord, add your blessing to the preaching of the word, and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted, Amen. How many knows we're in a sermon series called Rethink Easter? Can somebody shout, Rethink Easter? Last Sunday, we started this sermon series. So this Sunday is our second sermon series. And every Sunday till Easter, I'm going to take a uh, a story that surrounds Easter, and I'm going to preach about it. How many remembers the story from last week? It was the story of the three crosses. Do you remember the sermon? Raise your hand if you remember the sermon of the three crosses from last week. And we learned from last week that you can see yourself in the story. Well, this week I want to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane, we know, is a place where Jesus prayed right before his death. And what I want to do is, just for a few moments, I want to unpack this story this morning, and I want to reveal some truths to you that will change your life. Now, in the story we just read, it did not call it the Garden of Gethsemane, but we know in Matthew 26, 36, in another gospel, it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. So we know in Scripture, it's either called a garden or the Garden of Gethsemane. And so here we're going to deal with this story and we're going to unpack this story and we're going to see ourselves in this story. Gethsemane means a place of pressing, a place of pressure. It is a place where olives would be crushed for oil. So Gethsemane is a place where, where things are pressed. It's a place of pressing. How many has ever been in that place before? How many has ever been a place of pressure before? How many has ever been a place of pressure before? All of us go through different experiences, don't we? And, and I want you just to notice for a few moments that there are three major experiences that we'll all go through in life. The first experience is called the wilderness. The wilderness is where the enemy attacks us. The strategic plan of the enemy is to come against us. The cross is the place where we deal with people. It is a place where we deal with the physical. And the garden is the place of invisible pressure. 
It's a place where we deal with invisible pressure. Nobody sees it. Nobody is there. Nobody's there to hold your hand. It's a place where it's called invisible pressure. So the wilderness is the place where the enemy strategically attacks us. The cross is the place where we deal with people. Because how many knows Jesus had to deal with people at the cross? He dealt with the religious leaders. And then the garden is the place of invisible pressure. And we all got to go through the garden. We all got to, we all got to go through that place of invisible pressure. It's interesting to me that the Bible speaks of different gardens, don't it? I mean, if you look at the Bible, there are four different gardens. Somebody shout out with me, four gardens. The first garden is called the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden. And you know what the Garden of Eden is? The Garden of Eden is the Garden of Sin, the Garden of Sin. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man in which he formed, the man that he formed. Genesis 2 and 8, the very first garden in Scripture is the Garden of Eden. That's where it all started. That's where God created man. It's called the Garden of Sin. Can somebody shout out as loud as you can, the Garden of Sin. And then there is the Garden of Gethsemane. That is what we're dealing with today. That is called the Garden of Suffering or the Garden of Pressure. The Bible says in John 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these things, he, took, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, and there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So there is not only the Garden of Eden, but there is the Garden of Gethsemane. There is the Garden of Sin, but then there's the Garden of Suffering and Pressure. Then the third garden, the third garden is called the Garden Tomb. The Garden Tomb. Somebody shout out the Garden Tomb. The Garden Tomb is the Garden of Victory. The Garden of Victory. The Bible says in John 19, verse 41. Listen to the words of this. John 19, verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, there was a new tomb a new tomb in which nobody had been laid. So there is the Garden of Eden. There is the Garden of Gethsemane. There is the Garden Tomb, which is called the Garden of Victory. The Garden of Victory. And then there is the Garden Eternal. Garden Eternal. This is the garden at the end of the world. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, this is what the Bible says. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will let him eat from the tree which is in the midst of the garden or the paradise of God. The word garden is the word for paradise, interchangeable terms. So listen, you have the garden of Eden, which is the garden of sin. You have the garden of Gethsemane, which is the garden of suffering. You have the garden tomb, which is the garden of victory. And then you have the garden eternal, which is the garden of eternal life. Is anybody hearing the preacher this morning? Is anybody listening to me this morning? Amen. You have all these gardens. What is, what is the scripture saying? God is going to bring you back to the place where it all started. It started in the garden. We fell in the garden. But John said, I looked up and I saw a tree in the garden and we're going to eat from the garden. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam messed up in the first garden, but you and I are going to be in the garden in paradise and we're going to take back what the enemy tried to take in the first garden. In other words, God is going to bring us back to the place where it all started. It started in the garden, but it's going to end in the garden. The garden eternal. Look at the garden of Gethsemane. It's a place of pressing, isn't it? 
a place of suffering. What is the Garden of Gethsemane? It's a place of pressure. It's a place where you don't know if you can make it. It's the middle place. You know where God's brought you from. You know what the book says about the end, but you're not too sure about the middle. The garden is the middle place. It's the rock in the hard place. It's a tight place. Sometimes God wants to do things for you and in you that you can't do for yourself. Sometimes the garden is the alignment between your will and God's will. The garden is a breaking place. It's a breaking point. We've all been deceived, haven't we? We've been deceived by what I call magic Christianity. You know what magic Christianity is? Magic Christianity says this. If you say all the right stuff, do the all the right stuff, and believe the right stuff, then God will protect you from all harm and all suffering. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not Scripture. The Bible says all who are righteous will suffer. Uh, will suffer. You see, we will all suffer. It rains on the just and the unjust. We don't believe in magic Christianity. We believe in biblical Christianity. And biblical Christianity states that sometimes you will have to suffer. Sometimes you will have to go through things. Sometimes you will have to be in the garden of pressure. Let me tell you something. God does not heal everybody. Every marriage is not fixed. Every relationship is not whole. Every pocketbook is not full. And every job is not beneficial. Life is not fair all the time because God has designed it to be that way. Sometimes He puts you in the garden of Gethsemane. He puts you in the garden of pressure because He wants you to know that my grace is going to be sufficient for you in the garden. God don't fix everything. God don't heal everybody. God don't mend everything. I don't know where we've come up with that theology, but it's not true. As long as you seek His face, He will give you grace for your race. It's about the grace of God. Sometimes God does it. Sometimes God heals, delivers, sets free. We say amen to that, and that's what we believe for. But sometimes He gives you grace to endure whatever is set before you. We don't like that, do we? We don't like that. Scott and Joanne lost a baby girl a few years ago. We don't have questions of why things like that happens. But I promise you they're in church this morning. They're worshiping God with their hands lifted. And they can testify that God's grace is always sufficient. Sometimes we don't understand everything about life. We don't have all the solutions to life. But I am standing here with my heart rejoicing because as I look back on my life, I'm reminded that God's grace is always sufficient. It's God's grace. The Apostle Paul said, at least I should be exalted above measure. Because of the abundance of my revelation, there was a thorn in the flesh given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he would take it from me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul said, therefore, gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If the apostle Paul had to pray three times, and God said, no, 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 I'm going to give you grace to endure it. What is God's grace? God's grace is His ability to do in you and through you what you can't do for yourself. That is God's grace. 
It's His ability to do in you and through you what you can't do for yourself. In the garden of pressure, there will always be the grace of His presence. You see, the garden is a place of pressure. It's a place of the pressing. But in the garden of pressure, there will always be the grace of His presence. See? Grace. Grace to go all the way. Grace to go to the cross. Grace to pray when everybody else is sleeping. Grace to believe that it's all going to work out in the end. Grace. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan may buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his blood for my soul. It is well, it is well. Do you know why it's well? Because of his grace in the garden. How could Jesus go to the garden because grace was upon Him? We exalt His divinity and lower His humanity, but Jesus is a man just like you. He laid aside His divinity. He was in such agony that His sweat became great drops of blood. What do you do in the garden of pressure? What do you do when you're like Jesus in the garden and you don't know if you can go on or not? What do you do? Jesus could have called a legion of angels to rescue him. But what did Jesus do? And what should you do in the garden of pressure? Number one, you've got to develop a place and a time for prayer. What do you do when the heat's on? You've got to pray. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You've got to pray. You've got to develop a time for prayer. You've got to develop a place of prayer. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22 and verse number 39, Luke chapter 22, verse 39, look at this. He went to the Mount of Olives as it was his accustom with his disciples, also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that I may not enter into temptation. So you've got to develop a time and place for prayer. Do you see what happened? He went to the Mount of Olives and what was his accustom? He came to the place. So Jesus would go to the garden and what would he do? He would pray at the garden. It was his custom to pray. He came to the place. Listen, isn't it amazing that angels came to him after he was done praying? Do you know what is the sad fact about praying is that we never ask angels to be involved? Listen, if you pray, angels will get involved in your business. If you would just lift up your voice, angels will get involved. Somebody say amen. After Jesus was done praying, angels came to minister to Jesus. What are you saying, pastor? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus chose this place to pray. He was here. He, he came to this place to pray often. It was his custom to pray. It was the place of his prayer. And Jesus developed a place and a time for praying, and it was in the garden. He wasn't just praying in the garden one time. He had been going there to pray for a long time. 
Jesus had a prayer life. I want you to notice Jesus' prayer life. Look at the scriptures behind me and notice Jesus' prayer life. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 verse 35, and I quote, Now early in the morning, having risen long before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. The Bible says in Matthew 14, 23, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was all alone. The Bible says in Luke 6 and verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that he went to the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. So he withdrew himself into the wilderness and he prayed. Hebrews chapter number 5 and verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered the prayers and the supplication and the cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his godly fear. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying Jesus was a praying man. He was praying. You know why he could face the temptation? Do you know why he could face the pressure of the garden? Is because he was a praying man. If you don't pray, you will fail. If you don't pray, you will give up. If you don't pray, you will give in and give in to the temptation if you don't pray. If you don't pray, you're going to fall under the weight of pressure. There was a bridge in the 19, I think, 60s in West Virginia the Silver Bridge, I think this is what they called it. People were going past it one morning. Lots of cars was on it. And the bridge collapsed and killed hundreds of people in the early 60s. There's a memorial site there in West Virginia. Because of that great bridge collapsing, some of you are getting ready to collapse if you don't pray. The pressure is getting ready to collapse you. But if you don't develop a prayer life and you don't keep God before you and you don't develop a time and place of prayer, you will collapse under the pressure. The reason that Jesus made it through the garden of pressure is because he already had a prayer life. Number two, sometimes you've got to sweat it out. I'm doing real good. It's 12 over 9. I've got six minutes. Sometimes you've got to swear it, sweat it out. Sweat it out. The Bible says he was praying and his sweat became great drops of blood. He had to sweat it out. Sometimes you've got to wrestle in prayer and you've got to sweat things out. You see, it's just not so simple to come to church and give your offerings and pray a few prayers and leave the building. Sometimes you've got to wrestle some things out. Sometimes you've got to sweat some things out. Sometimes you've got to get involved in spiritual warfare and sweat that thing out. You see, we don't want to sweat things out. We want a quick fix. We want somebody just to say something to us to make us feel good. But listen, Jesus had to sweat out. What, what did he have to sweat out? It was his will versus the will of the Father. And sometimes in the garden of pressure, there is the alignment between your will and God's will. God is trying to get the clock, the little hand and the big hand to say one thing. Yet it's the constant struggle. Sometimes you've got to sweat it out. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is sweating is an Old Testament parallel found in Genesis 3 verse 19. Listen to the words of the prophet in Genesis 3 19. In your sweat, the sweat of your face, or King James says the sweat of your brow, ye shall eat and you will return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and dust you will turn. Now don't lose me. Sweating is a symbol of the curse. Somebody say sweating. Somebody shout out sweating 
is a symbol of the curse. Say, the symbol of the curse. Somebody say, symbol of the curse. So what was Jesus doing in the garden? He was sweating, but then his sweat became great drops of blood. What was Jesus doing in the garden? In the first garden, there was sweat because they sinned. But in this garden, Jesus is sweating because Jesus is breaking the curse off of you. He is saying, listen, in the first garden, Adam and Eve messed up and you had to sweat. You had to work for it. But in this garden, I'm going to sweat. I'm going to produce the blood. I'm going to break the curse off of you. You don't have to work for it anymore. I give it to you freely. He broke it. His sweating broke the curse. Jesus is sweating in the garden to break the curse off of you. He didn't shed the blood at Calvary first. He shed the blood in the garden first. It was in the garden that he shed the blood first. We exalt the cross. I think we need to take the cross down and put a garden up. Because it was in the garden that Jesus' will was submitted to the Father. It was in the garden that Jesus shed the blood and broke the curse off of humanity. Yes, yes, yes. The cross is important. Yes, he shed his blood at the cross. But we forget that he also shed the blood at the garden. It's not do, 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 do. It's done, 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 done. It's not do, do, do. It's done, done, done. He sweated and broke the curse. I'm glad he sweated so I don't have to sweat. I'm glad he worked so I don't have to work. I'm glad he broke the curse because I can't break the curse myself. Number one, you've got to develop a prayer life. Number two, you've got to sweat it out. And number three, there's always an experience called this cup. This cup is an experience. We all got something to go through. We all got that one thing that if we could just get victory over, then it'd be better, wouldn't it? Every one of you has at least something in your life you struggle with. It's that pull on you that if you've cried out to God and you said, God, if you can deliver me, then I know I could be a powerhouse for you. And somehow that thing is still there. Do you know why it's still there? Because all of us has the cross to bear. All of us has a cup to drink. Some of us have a thorn left in our flesh just to keep us down a little bit. To keep us humble a little bit. Paul said, the thorn was given to me because I know I would exalt myself in my revelations. Sometimes there's that thorn. Every one of you have to drink a cup. The measure of your trial is the measure of God's trust in your life. The measure of your trial is the measure of God's trust in your life. No crown without the cup. No crown without the cup. And in closing, number four, you've got to be careful that you don't reach for that, for things that don't work. Be careful you don't reach for things that don't work. Now, in a different gospel, in Matthew 26, 36, Jesus went back three times to his disciples. Remember that? Jesus went back and said, are you sleeping? Can't you not watch and pray with me? Then he goes back to pray. And then Jesus goes back and falls a little further and prays again. He goes back to his disciples and finds them asleep. That's found in Matthew 26. My point is this. Isn't it interesting in the Garden of Gethsemane, get this, Jesus vacillated between people 
and he vacillated between God. Don't lose me. Jesus vacillated between people and God. Is that right? He prayed to the Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. And then he went to the disciples and said, can you not pray with me? Jesus went back and forth from people to God. Because that's what we do in our struggle. We have a tendency to go to God and go to people. Go to God, go to people. You know why? Because in our pressure, in our struggle, we want to connect with somebody. He, Jesus wanted somebody to connect with. Do you feel my pain? Do you know what I'm going through? Can, can you sympathize with what I'm going with? And the disciples had no idea they was asleep. And in the time of pressure, in the time of the Garden of Gethsemane, we always vacillate between God and people because we want somebody to connect with. We want somebody to feel our pain because pressure will always separate you. You know why pressure separates you? Because nobody can feel the pain like you feel the pain. It's just like men saying, we're having a baby. How many knows they're lying? They're not having a baby. They don't understand a thing that the woman's going through. I don't care how much they hold their hand. and No, no, no. They don't understand a thing that the woman's going through. They're not having a baby. She's having a baby. The reason he is there, because she wants somebody to sympathize with. Do you understand how much pain I'm in? And that's what we do in the garden. We vacillate between the disciples and God because we want somebody to feel our pain. And God is saying, I put you in the garden to be by yourself. I come to the garden alone where the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear Falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share, we will tarry there. No other has ever known. The garden is you and God sweating it out. 